Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Breathing right now? Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I know you'll be alright Even when times get hard And you feel like you're in the dark You will see Just how beautiful life can be When you soften your heart You can finally start To live your Truthiest Life. Welcome back, Truthiest Life fam. It's your host, Lisa Haim. And I'm excited to share that I'm recording this intro from Antigua, believe it or not. But we almost did not make this trip. So if you are somebody who has not traveled or is considering international travel specifically, you're going to want to hear what happened to us. I'm going to share that in the intro before we dive into this week's amazing, amazing, thought-provoking, eye-opening episode. So we booked this trip just two days before we left. This was not a decision that we made easily or lightly. It was mine and my husband Evan's first time on a plane since COVID began. I think my last flight was actually a year ago when I flew to Nashville to record season one of Outweigh, the other podcast that I co-host with Amy Brown. Can't believe that was a year ago already. But Evan and I decided that we really needed some time off back in January. So he put seven days in his schedule, isolated it in mine. But we wanted to wait to see if any new travel restrictions were going to come up before we put down money for a hotel. Most of them were non-refundable and we were within the window of 30 days when we decided. So we decided to just kind of play it by year. We did not mean to play it by year as much as we did, ultimately deciding two days before we left where we were going to go. It did not get easier as time approached February when we thought things were just going to be a lot more figured out with COVID. But ultimately, these are really personal decisions and you have to evaluate so many more factors than you ever did before and make the best choice for you, your partner, your family or your friends. So ultimately, we did choose to come to Antigua. We're technically on a little island off of Antigua. We like the idea of that since it would be even more removed from everything else and not a lot of people on the island in general traveling within the U.S. we worried would just be super congested because a lot of people have the same idea. We want to travel, but we don't want to leave the U.S. Therefore, prices were also incredibly high within the U.S. And we just didn't want to fly into any really big airports where people would kind of be on top of each other. So we did choose Antigua, and I'm really glad we did. Coming here required a PCR COVID test. So that is a more stringent test than the rapid. So we got it through Evans Hospital three days before we came. We tested negative, we were good to go. We arrive for our 9 a.m. flight at 7.30 at the airport. We hand our forms confidently to the woman in charge, and she says this doesn't say PCR anywhere. And to go to Antigua, you need a PCR test. So we looked at it, and it says a molecular test. 
Evan is a physician. He explains that molecular is a type of PCR test. And she said it doesn't matter what it is. If it doesn't say the word specifically PCR test, we cannot let you on this flight. It's probably around 745 by now. We've got four pieces of luggage because I don't know why we can't travel anywhere lightly that we need to get on the plane with us. She, I think she's just going to throw the papers back to us. And she says, let me go talk to a supervisor. She disappears for at least 30 minutes. It's eight o'clock by the time she comes back with the supervisor who basically says the same thing. We want to let you on, but we cannot let you on because this does not say PCR. We cannot do that. It's getting close. Evan's sweating. We have a non-refundable trip to Antigua. Uh, The doors to get our luggage on and also boarding is getting very, very close. Ultimately, we got very, very lucky because we got those tests through Evan's hospital. We called the hospital and a nurse who had some available moments and was free to help us could log into our portal. And even though our patient portal didn't say PCR, the other side, the administrative side did have some paperwork that said our names with the word PCR. So she was able to very quickly, thank goodness, (laughs) send us those forms via text message. And at the nick of time, they accepted those forms. So for anybody that is going to a place that requires PCR, you should go a step further to make sure that your forms say the words PCR, even if you're positive that you got the right test. So I know obviously we were in a unique situation where Evan works at the hospital, but it was a Sunday morning. The lab that they go through was not open. Most people would have been in a really much more frustrating situation. But we got on the flight, we went straight to board, we were the last ones to board, and we made it. The plane was super empty, and I felt actually a lot more comfortable than I expected. I kind of thought that I was going to be that person with like three masks and a shield, and although I did keep my mask on the whole time, I did kind of sit there and realize that everybody who had been on the plane had been COVID tested within the last three days, and that's not usually the case when I go to, you know, the few places that I frequent, like the grocery store or whatnot. So I had a lot more peace of mind than I expected. I'm still going to be taking COVID precautions very seriously. I'm not vaccinated. I think that I'm I'm not one of those people that needs to go out to dinner or at least right now where there's indoor dining in New York. And I think it's super important to take COVID precautions seriously and I will continue to do so. And I'm really grateful to have had this time off to reset and get to see a part of the world that is so beautiful and support really their tourist industry, which they too depend on. All of us humans really aid in helping each other in one way or another. And the hotel staff is incredibly nice and warm and I think just grateful to be back in business. Anyway, coming up, this episode is awesome. It was so eye-opening for me to really learn how healing psychic work and mediumship can be, as well as the stigma attached to it. Even though I would see a psychic and probably believe everything they said, I still would kind of probably roll my eyes. But after this episode, you will certainly change your mind. I highly recommend listening to Floor, my guest, her podcast as well, if you have any reservations, because on her podcast, she actually does recorded sessions. So you can listen in on her work, how it works, and how healing it is and perhaps different than what you thought. Anyway, I did say on this episode that I don't think a lot of you have seen a psychic or are interested. However, I pulled my Instagram audience and so many of you have seen psychics, see them regularly or are really interested. So disregard that sentence. And I so hope that you enjoy this episode. It really blew my mind. Let me know your thoughts and I'll see you back here next week. So excited to welcome Floor, the amazing psychic slash medium to the truthiest life. I'm so excited to have you here today, Flora, and learn all about your life as an individual and your life as a psychic medium. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. Good to be here. So I've never actually formally seen a psychic, and I'm thinking most of my audience probably hasn't either. Maybe there are a few who have. But I will say that I'm constantly being pulled towards those signs that say, come in for your reading, you know, those bright flashing psychic lights that are all over the city, but also my town where I live now. And even recently, they've caught my attention even more. So the timing of this feels really right. I'm a pretty impulsive person, and I'm I'm pretty open-minded, I think 
think, too, when it comes to all things energy. But what has held me back? Like, why have I never been? And I think that there's just so many questions surrounding what a psychic is. Is it a waste of money? Do I really need that information that I'm going to get if I do believe that it's true? I think we just have a lot of questions for you. <laughs> and they're maybe going to be a little bit more basic than the than the average person. But just to dive right in, out the gate, I need to know, can you hear the thoughts of strangers when you walk by on the street? Absolutely not. <laughs> no, so that's not how it works. Thoughts and mental thinking is like really in and out, right? I mean, God, if you even think about your own thoughts, it's just like thought after thought after thought. That kind of stuff doesn't really translate. When you're reading psychically, you're really reading energy that's more stagnant, so to speak, more dense. It's like, oh, you've got three children, right? That kind of thing. You've had three children for a long time. Like that's in your energy. It's part of who you are. It's not just a thought. You didn't just think mm. one day, ooh, maybe I've got two. Maybe I've got four. Like it doesn't really have an energetic footprint. So no, definitely not. It's a good way to put it. So that's just helpful to know that you don't know exactly what I'm thinking right now because I could have some weird thoughts. <laughs> Yes. No, absolutely not. I'm glad I don't read minds. My God, that would be exhausting. So you're a psychic medium. What is the difference between a psychic and a medium or are all psychics mediums? Great question. Uh, so a psychic reads your energy. You are living in a physical body. You're living a life. You are um, making choices and creating energy patterns that create a future. So a psychic would look at your life, both present, future, past. A medium connects to people who have passed away, who are no longer in a physical body. So it's the soul, the spirit, the life force that still exists within you as well, but it's their life force without the physical body. So I used to, I usually like to say it as I'm either going FM radio station or AM radio station, right? It's like kind of two sides of the coin. Ultimately, I'm connecting to the same thing. I'm connecting to spirit. It's just that one is in the physical body and the other one isn't. Are all psychics able to be mediums or are you just one that happens to do both? So most mediums, I would say, can be psychics, but it's generally not the other way around. So if you can tune into the AM station, you can also tune into the FM station. But if you can just get FM, then you might not be able to get AM, that kind of thing. And it just depends on the individual, too, I would say. But for you, I think your work really splits into those two fields, right? Yeah. Could you explain the two reasons that people do come to you then? Yeah, lots of reasons. But I think when people come for a psychic reading, it's usually because they're feeling stagnation, frustration around their own life, patterns that aren't really getting resolved. Like the question of why is this happening comes up a lot. Um, and I like that question because I believe that we create our own futures. So I don't believe that the future is set in stone. I'm not the kind of psychic that's going to say, well, you know, this is the way it is. You can't change it. But I will say, this is what you're creating right now. If you continue on in this way, X, Y, Z will happen. But like, let's look at why you're creating it and how you're creating it. Because ultimately, you create your own destiny. So that is why people come for the psychic. The mediumship is all about closure, grief, connecting to our loved ones. And I think for both, there's always the people that come in super skeptical who just want to know if it's real or not, which is totally fine as well. Right. Okay. So let's take the people in the first camp for a second that come in because they're just stuck in their life in some way. There are a lot of people I know in my personal life that repeat the same habits time after time again, but they're either unwilling or lack a sense of self-awareness to recognize that they themselves are the variable that's very constant to cause the outcome that they don't like. Yep. Do you find that you get people like that? Or are you getting people that are really self-aware and say, I know what I'm doing, but I can't change it? Both, right? I, that's good. I certainly have received my negative review once or twice because I don't tell people what they want to hear. Mm. I think that's part of the job is to shine a mirror back where none of us are living, quote unquote, the perfect life. We've all got blind spots. But I would say that, you know, in a psychic reading, when I know that I'm doing a good job, there is some recognition within that person's being where they go, yeah, that's true. You know, mm. there's also something about having a third party who doesn't know you, has mm. no connection to your life. You've given perhaps a fake name to and they flip it and they go, oh, OK, so see that you are in a 
marriage. I see that you're cheating on your husband. He's cheating on you. Neither of you is talking about it. This has happened for the last 10 years. These are like the roles that you're each playing. These are the cycles that you're in. When a third party stranger tells you there is something about, I think that experience where you have to pay attention because like, yeah, that's true, you know? So if it's true and if it hits deep, I think it's an opportunity for people to have that self-aware moment in a way that they might not have with a friend or a family member. Because if it's a friend or a family member, you can kind of dismiss it, right? For sure. And I think it's so interesting just to really change my own perspective in this quick conversation we've had so far to really recognize that a psychic isn't a quote unquote, and please forgive me for saying this, but I know that people think it, a psychic isn't a waste of money or a potential waste of money. It's a possible introduction to a healer that could have a profound impact on your life. Obviously, not all psychic, maybe you're not going to be a great match with each and every one of them. Right, exactly. But to break down that barrier of they're not a witch, they're not a crook, like they are a healer. And the person needs to come in with a willingness to invite the healer in, right? I would think. Absolutely. And it's two parts, right? Like I can't change your life for you. I can just show you where to look. So there is there is that aspect too. I think sometimes people want it to be a magic wand. And at the end of the day, a healer shows you where to go, not necessarily can do it for you, right? There, there's that. But I also think in terms of with psychics and mediums, unfortunately, there are crooks out there in, in any any field. There are people True. doing work that is unethical, lacks integrity, doesn't have a good moral compass in any field. It's unfortunately the truth about psychic work and mediumship work is that there is no authority that controls it in any capacity. Mm. So you have to do your own research. You know, I would say don't go follow the neon sign. (laughs) Ask your friends, ask your family. You'd be surprised at the number of people that have gone to see a psychic or just look at reviews online, see what resonates, do some research. I would say that then you're going to have a good experience. If you just walk into a psychic shop, who knows? You might get somebody who's brilliant, but chances are it's not going to be somebody who's actually doing it for the right reasons. Okay, I hear you. And then the second part, Ship, the mediumship. This is really fascinating to me because in preparing for our call, you know, I've never seen a psychic, like I said, but I've also never seen a medium, but it's 100% something that I believe exists and I'm open to. I think I haven't had knock on wood and, you know, God willing, you know, the type of loss that every day I'm faced with unable to move forward because I've lost somebody in my life. So I never thought, oh, I should see somebody to connect to get those answers. And after we spoke, I even asked my husband if he would be interested. It was Valentine's Day coming up. I said, would you be interested in a uh, mediumship to connect with somebody that he loves and his family that passed somewhat recently? And it was a very quick and abrupt no. And, <laughs> you know, we're everybody knows we're we're very different and to each their own. But I took a little bit of time to listen to your podcast, which I'll link below with all your information, of course. And I was blown away by what I thought this was versus what this actually does for people. And you said the keyword grief. Can you elaborate a little bit more on mediumship and it being a tool for a grieving person? Absolutely. I think there is something so beautiful to connecting with someone who's really seeking closure and grief for whatever reason, whether it's an abrupt loss, whether it is unexplainable for them, or they just need to have some sense of, okay, they're somewhere, right? I I can move forward. And that's what I do is I bridge the two. I always like to emphasize for people, I'm not the only one who can connect to your loved ones. You can connect to your loved ones. I'm just here to show you and give you some tangible proof that it's real, that there's something there that you walk away with going, how did she know that I needed to hear that? How did she know that piece of information? And I see it as the catalyst to a grieving process that allows us to continue having a relationship with our loved ones when they're not in the physical body. And for whatever reason that person needed it, it can really be the catalyst to that next stage of acceptance or really like being able to live their own physical life and continue to live it. A lot of people get stuck in the grief process. So I think I've often seen mediumship and the connection to spirit having this profound effect where people can 
kind of say, oh, okay, all right, I will see them again. They are somewhere. I can focus on my life here now and carry them with me versus getting stuck in this in-between of what do I do now? Where do I go? Right. And I think that kind of just describes like grief is this thing where you're stuck between life and death yourself, the living person, because you're living, but somebody you know is not. And all of a sudden you're not really living. You're in that, I don't know, this cloudy space where you don't know what to do. And the episode that I listened to was super interesting. It was one where a woman lost her partner and the partner was lost abruptly in a really freak accident. And I thought you were just going to connect to the, the loved one that was lost, which you did and provided some really valuable information that I could just hear the other person so happy to hear. But you also knew details about the event itself, how they were lost and things that predated the event in a way that was like so vivid that I was able to see it. And and it must be just so interesting from where you're sitting to have that information without the person telling you, right? Yeah, I think that's really been the joy of doing this work is, is making it tangible and real for people in a way that becomes visceral. Because I've been doing this work now for 12 years. And in the beginning, it was just kind of facts being thrown out. And after a while, I thought, how do I really want to bring this forward into the world? Because ultimately, I'm bridging between two worlds, this world and the next. And I really wanted the people on the other side to get the opportunity to have a voice to to become real because they are real, right? So I really try in my readings to bring them in in such a way where it it makes it a real experience, not just for the person who's connected, but to anyone who is listening. And I used to do theater shows before COVID, and that was really the joy of that was to give an opportunity to be the the voice for someone who's no longer in the physical world and make them very real and have have it be something where people listen and go, oh, I can see that. I know the kind of person that is. I can relate. And it and it's just this beautiful healing work then that doesn't just even have to touch the individual sitting in front of me. Anyone who hears it can can get something out of that Mm. because it resonates. Definitely. So we'll come back to your expertise and how it works in just a moment. But I, you know, this is the truthiest life and Flora living her truthiest life. So let's get a little bit personal for a minute to really understand how you became who you are and discovered this gift. So is this a gift that you discovered or was this a choice? I want to, you know, grow up and be a psychic. Definitely not a choice. Uh, Anything but a choice. I Mm. spent years running as fast away from it as I could, throwing every tantrum known to mankind about, I don't even know, like fighting with God, if you will, or like the universe being like, it's not fair. You can't tell me what to do. Like, this is not my calling. Stop making it my calling. You know, I just really wanted, especially as a young kid, I wanted to be normal and I wanted to be liked. And I did not want to be the girl who speaks to dead people. Like that was not what I wanted. <laughs> so so no. when you say young, how young were you when you started to recognize that you were different and what was happening? Yeah, so my parents recognized it before I did. You know, when you're when you're really young, you have a worldview, whatever that is, and you believe that everybody else has that same worldview. There isn't the capacity as a four-year-old or a five-year-old to go, oh, my worldview is different than your worldview. You don't think mm-hmm. like that. It's so just true. the world. So I had knowing of people who had passed and saw things and knew things about people that I just thought, I think this is life. This is, we, we know these things. And my parents took surprise notice because a lot of what I was saying was information that was about their grandparents, people I'd never met, nicknames, ways of being, characteristics. You know, I would just talk to people in, in the house and at first it was like, oh, maybe it's her imagination. But then upon questioning, uh, would come out with a lot of weird facts that were very true. So neither one of them was particularly spiritual. I think my mom was interested in it, but it wasn't from a perspective of her being really involved, not until I came around. So they both just took surprise notice and kind of tried to make it as normal for me as possible. But it was when I went to school and kind of went out into the world that I really very quickly realized this is not what people are seeing. And it made me a very shy kid. Like I did not want to talk about it. I didn't want to really bring any attention to myself um, in that way. And also was just very, very aware of being 
different and that what I was seeing should not be vocalized under like any circumstances. For sure. I mean, you'd be the, you know, the freaky kid, the man out and the whole the whole thing. How were you getting the information and what for if you're able to put into words, how do you learn about the nicknames or whatever that information was that you'd kind of, you know, spell back for your parents? Yeah. You know, I can't quite say how I received it back then. I'm sure it's similar mm-hmm. to how I receive it now. It's very much like a thought that goes through my head or just information I just know. So I think it was a little bit more vocal or a little bit sharper. It's kind of amazing. I often think if I could be as open to spirit now as I was when I was five, six, it'd be fantastic. Like Mm -hmm. I'm constantly trying to get back to my openness at age six, um, which I think most people are in, in the realm of intuition and spirit communication and psychic ability. I think if we could all just get back to our five, six year old selves, we would be much more available to all the world has to offer. But I think back then, you know, my mom has a great story of me describing someone she was like, huh, okay, tell me more. And she uh, she asked me, she goes, doing her makeup, getting ready for a date night with my dad. Uh, and she asked me in the other room, she goes, okay, well, you know, what are their names? And um, kind of playing along and she keeps talking. And I tell her, I'm like, mom, I can't hear them if you keep talking. Like it, you ask me their names, I can't hear them. You're, you're just, you're talking over them. So for her, she was just kind of like, <laughs> okay, I'll be quiet. Uh, <laughs> you want to tell me their names now? And then, you know, I gave back these nicknames that she'd had for her grandparents, um, who I had not spent much at all time with, and whose nicknames were not used except for to each other. So they only said the nicknames to each other, no one else used them. So, you know, things like that, I think it must have been a little bit more vocal for me, because I was really listening, not mm. internally so much as externally. Um, But it's hard for me to really know how I perceived at that age because it's so long ago and I've done the work for so long that it's hard for me to really section out how it's changed. Okay, that that makes that makes a lot of sense. You didn't become a psychic or a medium that day with your mom, right? Like you had a different life path (laughs) that you were trying to create very separate from the world that you knew. I believe you were actually pre-med through college. Were you pursuing medicine? Really, you know, between the ages of maybe like eight to 14 was able to shut all of this down. Hardcore. It was like, I want nothing to do with it. No one will ever know. Definitely didn't tell friends, told my family I had just been highly imaginative. So anytime they brought it up, I would get really mad and really angry and be like, don't talk about that. It's not true. I was just highly imaginative. I fooled all of you. And I would just like want nothing to do with it. And uh, I remember one time my mom bought me, I think it was like tarot cards when I was 16. And she's like, she still laughs about it because I threw the biggest tantrum. I threw them all outside. I was so mad. I was like, why would you think I ever want to have anything to do with this? It's all BS. Like, <laughs> lost it <laughs> at 16. And, uh, you know, it's so funny because now, now I'm working as a second medium. But it, my parents really were just like, this was real. We saw it. We witnessed it. Okay, fine. But I spent my teenage years in a magnet school that I applied to. It was this free, really prestigious magnet school where I lived. It was called the Academy of Science and Technology. And it was all math, all science. I loved it. I excelled at it. I wanted to be a neuroscientist. You know, we were just doing really, looking back a little, probably like super over the top work for high schoolers. We were doing organic chemistry. We had engineering classes. We had programming classes that were required so I really exited high school very academically focused. I wanted to be a neuroscientist. I got into UCLA. I went with a Coca-Cola scholarship and that was my whole world. I was really an academic nerd. So there was no part of me that thought I would be working as a psychic because my whole focus was on med school. And your school, too. I'm sure everybody was kind of just, you know, science, technology. And, you know, in the school I went to, not that there was a ton of different diversity or that if somebody said that they could speak to dead people, that would have been, you know, the cool kid by any means. But, you know, people had different interests and different paths of life. And you could kind of see that this one's a little bit weird. This one's a little bit, you know, not so smart. This one's very smart, whatever. But for you, everybody was really... 
I imagine, one way. And therefore, you were good at being that one way, too, because you were in the school. But to veer from that in any way, I can't imagine many people have the science, technology, math brain, and then also the spiritual ability to connect that you had, right? Yeah, I think it was it was exactly like that. We were all headed in the same direction. I had grown up with these kids. I still like there's still some of my very, very, very good friends. But I think I have definitely been the one to stray where all of them have gone on to be doctors, PhD candidates, researchers, engineers, like no one really has strayed outside of that. So absolutely, it was such a, it was a bit uh, almost like I didn't even consider when I left high school that there was another career that one could pursue. Like it was very Mm -hmm. much, it's science or nothing. Um, And I loved it. So I was totally for that. And I think a lot of people listening can relate to that in some way or another that, you know, after this stage of life comes this stage of life. And oftentimes it's mapped out for us. Oftentimes we think that is the right path for us. It feels good to us, whether it's religion or career or marriage, you know, any of these big life decisions. And to starkly pivot like you did, I want to hear about that in one second. But I do want to ask, were you teased a lot? Like what made you go back and just tell your parents that it was all your imagination, never bring that up? Like, was there a, a point where you walked into to the world and said, this is what I hear and see, and it was not positively received? You know, I think there were a couple of comments that I made that were very quickly shut down by kids, but I don't think that they knew what they were shutting down. It was just my hyper awareness of it. Uh. I've always been really observant and I can read a room, right? So, because that's part of the work. And I think even as a kid, I was hypersensitive to that and what people's emotions and what how they felt about me or what their response was. So very quickly, it almost probably on the outside didn't seem like a massive backlash. But for me, I was like, Mm -hmm. ooh, that and my parents and I and and my younger sister, we immigrated to the US when I was uh, eight. I was teased for different reasons. I was the Mm -hmm. foreign kid. We came from the Netherlands. I didn't speak any English that first year. And it definitely wasn't easy in that respect, even though I can blend in on the outside and I don't have an accent now. I worked really hard on that in the beginning. But I think there were a couple of layers of things that I already felt were very different about me. And I was teased for those. So I definitely wasn't going to bring anything else into it. You know, my name's Fleur. Like Beautiful name. But yes, thank different. you. But Texas suburbs in the right. 90s. Like. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you loud and clear. <laughs> so how did you end up making this really big life decision to move away from yeah. pre-med, something you liked, you were good at, to pursuing the gift that you noticed at age four or five? It's like long story short, but I actually got really sick at the beginning of my college career. And it kind of baffled everybody. Nobody really knew what was going on. I couldn't figure it out. I changed my entire diet around. I became like super, super health conscious. It's still nothing was changing. And it actually was my dad who at that point said, well, why don't you just go see somebody who is a reader? Because we don't know anymore. This isn't going well. It looks like you're going to have to drop out of school. You're so sick, um, which was at the time my worst academic nightmare. I mean, take a person whose entire identity is straight A's and wants to be pre-med and take them out of school is like, oh God, no. So I actually went to Psychic Medium when I was 18, 18 and a half or so. And I sat down and she goes, well, you're not living your purpose. And if you don't live your purpose to be a psychic medium, and I hadn't said anything, she's like, your purpose is to be a psychic medium. And if you don't do that, you'll die. And I was like, Mm -hmm. wow. Okay, cue me being angry at God, storming Mm -hmm. out of there, being like, this isn't fair. I want to be a doctor. Surely that helps people too. Why is this following me? I was so mad. And but there was that, you know, little voice in the back of my head that went, your body is not doing great. Maybe this is the time where you just sit down, shut up, and you just see what it is. At that point, I had shut it down so much that I wasn't really feeling anything. I wasn't seeing anything. There wasn't anything there. So there was certainly a part of me that was like, I don't even know if this is real for me anymore. I mean, it's been following me around for my entire life, but I haven't said anything that's particularly insightful since I was eight or nine, right? Mm -hmm. So 10 years later, what am I really trying to do here? But 
it was enough of a jolt for me to say, all right, fine, I'll start meditating. But it was really in my mind, I thought I could cheat it where I thought I'll meditate and I'll do this on the side, but I'll tell no one and I'll still be a doctor. In my initial dive into it, interestingly within the year, you know, the minute I sat down and started meditating and really focused on it, it it really came back very quickly in retrospect. But then it was a big thing of how do I come out of the closet? And I worked under a fake name for probably four, four years. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here... We have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. So when you started meditating, though, did your health problems clear up? Yeah, little by little. It took like two, three years. But okay. little by little, you know, it, it stabilized and then it, it then it improved a lot. So mm. it was definitely also motivation for me to keep going. So working under a fake name, um, obviously, you know, everything right now is telehealth and virtual. But were you doing face to face readings? Were you seeing people and showing up with your physical body? Yes. Yeah, so when I graduated from college, I was still not super strong in my health. So I thought I'll take off six months and then I'll start the applications for med school and do the MCAT and all of the rest of it. And in the six months, I thought, well, I might as well do readings and like see what's going to happen. Up until that point, I'd done little things here and there, but I hadn't really like started a business. So I kind of put my shingle out, so to speak. And I started getting a lot of clients by word of mouth. And I was showing up in person, but on my website, there was no picture of me. It was just a name. It was still 
not early on in terms of the internet, but this is 10 years ago. And so I could still get away with a WordPress website without a picture. It was fine. (laughs) So no one really questioned it. And then they would show up and they would see the 21 year old. And I look very young for my age, even now. Yeah. People were always like really, really skeptical to be like, why is this 20 year old going to, what is this 20 year old going to tell me? You know? Well, actually, is there a willingness that a person has to bring in order for you to access their energy? Or like, is me just sitting here enough for you to just like, do I need to invite you in or like, No. So you can just pick up on my energy or whatever I'm bringing with me. Uh, Yeah, I would say I can. I don't work. I'm not a client. So it's like, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't work or look at anybody's energy unless I've been given permission or asked. And it takes me preparation to kind of step into it, meditate properly, like get into the space. But um, so it's not like I'm going around the grocery store and looking at everybody's stuff. I First of all, I'm like way too busy with work. I, <laughs> the last thing I want to do is, yeah, is look no, it's at, exhausting. <laughs> yeah, it's like like the last job. thing I want to do. Right. But also it takes time and, and energy and, and like a real focus in the moment. So the answer is like, yes, I could shift into that with you. You don't necessarily have to give me permission, but I do feel like I don't. Uh, for example, these people who showed up who weren't expecting anything when they saw a 20 year old, they'd already given permission so to speak by being there. True. So it just made me a better medium and a psychic because I knew I had five minutes to turn it around. It wasn't like they were going to give me a lot of leeway. So often what would happen is kind of a tangent, but often it got such a kick out of it. I would say, you can record this. And they would say, oh, I don't have to. I'm not expecting much or something along those lines if they were rude. (laughs) And uh, I would say, okay. And I would start. And within four or five minutes, they would go, actually, do you mind if I record this? (laughs) And and it was like the best. I always knew, okay, fine, we're good now. But I really feel like it actually made me a lot better in the beginning. And I kept the anonymity and it made me feel really safe for a few Mm -hmm. years. I knew eventually I would have to shed it. It was really hard for me to do that. Like I really, it felt like coming out of the closet. It was really, really crazy. And uh, just working under this fake name for so long, for whatever reason, in those early years, I really felt like I could keep the two identities separated, but that didn't work for me. But as soon as you actually did leave it, I know there was fear of leaving it, but as soon as you did, did it feel good to be authentic and purely you? It did. Yeah. I was never quite able to sit into that pseudonym, even though I'd had it for so many years. I was teaching. I mean, gosh, I even kept it while I was teaching, right? Like I was already teaching classes and people would call me you by the teaching classes for people to become or to yep. cultivate. Yeah. And, and using this fake name, and people would call me over for help and I would completely ignore them forget. because I would just like forget that that was my name. <laughs> uh, and so that was kind of the cue for me to go, all right, time, what are we still like? This is your full-time job now. You've been doing this for four years and you still are not using your real name. What is that about? Like, can we, can we shift this? So it was a big relief. And it just honestly, I think by that time I was so ready for it and it just made everything so much easier. So what do you think life would be like if you decided to pursue medicine and really push this power down? Do you think you would have died like the psychic told you or was it more like metaphorical, a part of you would die? I don't know. I was getting very, very sick. I don't think I would have been able to even go to med school because my body wouldn't have pulled it. At one point when I was really ill, I was sleeping 14, 15 hours a night and still couldn't walk to class. There's just no way I would have been able at that point to do the rigorous schedule that a pre-med student would or that a that a medical resident would have to do. So I don't know if I would have necessarily been able to complete it to be honest, like physically. Let's just say somehow you did. And I don't know if you've ever done this exercise with yourself, but let's just say somehow you got through it and it's, you know, 10 years later and you're a doctor right now. When you close your eyes and see you either being a doctor or call it not doing what you do, what does it feel like inside your body? I have never done that exercise. It just (laughs) doesn't really feel like me. (laughs) I would love to do other things in my life down the road. Like I've always been somebody who I think is quite entrepreneurial. I have random dreams. I want to design a clothing line, things like that. But I think this work will always be a 
part of me. Like I probably will never do no readings at all. In part because when I don't read for a few weeks, I really feel stagnant and, mm-hmm. and off. The best kind of metaphor or, or not even metaphor, but um, other experience that I've seen is people who are musicians, who are artists, when they don't perform or they don't get to play their instruments, they feel really off. And for example, my my sibling is a is a musician. And if she doesn't play for a while, the whole family kind of rolls their eyes because she'll get in this terrible mood. And we're all like, oh, have you not you not practiced in a while? Do you want to go practice? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, can we please get you to go pick up your instrument? It's such a funny thing. And it, it feels the same for me. It's just part of who I am as an expression here in the world. And I probably will do other things. It doesn't even necessarily mean to me that this is the only job I'll ever have. But um, I think to some capacity, I have to be involved in it. Right. And I mean, to become a doctor would have really most likely meant sacrificing all of this. So it's not like, you know, you could be an entrepreneur, be a psychic medium, you know, do all those amazing things that you want to do. But like you said, to be a doctor and then do those things is kind of a whole other thing. So is there a cultivation phase of really getting better or more accurate. I mean, I think it's interesting that you said that you teach classes. I think we just think psychics are psychics. They're just born like that. Mm. What are you teaching and what are you cultivating or is there? Yeah. I mean, I don't think that psychics are just psychics. There's so much to teach. First of all, to unpack this a little bit, I think everybody has some sort of psychic intuitive ability. Mm. Everybody, spirit, communication. It's just part of our innate ability because we are spirit within a physical body. So we're already connected to that. We already have access to it. For you, for example, I'm sure that you have experienced moments in which you knew things were going to happen before they happened. You walk into a room, you feel like, ooh, there was a fight here. Um, How do you know that when it's not being read off of facial expression, when you're not getting it from anything tangible, yourself, your soul, your whatever you want to call that part of you, you have access to that information. I, with time, have trained myself to be much more specific and accurate about the exact energy that I'm feeling. But ultimately, we can all learn to create a skill set that makes us more exact as time goes on. It may be that not everybody should work as a psychic medium. I think that's kind of like saying everybody can learn to dance. Not everybody should be a prima ballerina or necessarily even have the body to do that, right? Like whatever it is that you need in order to go do ballet at that high of a level. I think it's the same as with me and my work as a psychic medium. For whatever reason, I came in with a certain skill set that just made it easy for me to tune into that naturally. But that doesn't mean that other people can't learn to tune into something or raise the degree at which they're already tuning in. And that's what I teach. It's that next step. It's that next level of accuracy and of trusting. Uh, I think that's the biggest thing. When I teach these intuition classes, so much of our world is focused on the external and so little is focused on the internal. And we give so much credit to our external world, the feedback we receive, what we should be doing. And we don't really pay attention to that internal voice. So a lot Mm. of my work is actually even just realigning people with that sense of self where you have a lot of answers within you. Mm-hmm. A lot of answers. And I know that you work with with diet and with the body and the body speaks to us as well. Oh, That's just sure. like one of the bridges, right? A hundred percent. I think like you just said, you know, I talk about noise. There's so much noise coming in and I try and help people quiet that noise to understand uh, not just how their bodies communicate, but their own intuition and needs and as soon as I kind of help people get that diet noise lower and they're able to listen to their body, mm-hmm. it actually opens them up to other fields of intuition because they're getting quiet. Then they're hearing things, whether it's about their jobs, their partners, their a boundary that they need to create with, mm-hmm. you know, a significant other rather than like you know, tumbling through life at the fast pace of the, you know, getting the applaud and the external validation and all those things that you kind of mentioned. So I think that 100 percent, the more we can help people get in touch with their own intuition, which we all have, the more aligned they are. And then everything kind of falls into place there. And I would be so curious even to hear when you work with clients, have you had the experience, because I'm sure you have, where they sit down, they don't really tell you much and you kind of already know what's yeah. going on? Yeah. And I think, you know, more than a dietitian, I am 
I would not say a psychic, but I am intuitive. I've recently come to understand that I'm an, an empath. That's only I'm 32 years old. And at 31, I think I made that I had that realization. And I know a lot of people can walk into a room and feel the energy of like, you know, what just happened. But I'm so sensitive to it. And I related to a lot of what you said to say, like, you just thought everybody was having that experience. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes something will happen. And it's so obvious to me what everybody was actually thinking that I walk yeah. away and I'll be with a group of friends and I'll say, can you believe that that just happened? And they're like, what just happened? Because, you know, the physical yeah. words were not spoken. But for me, it's like, that was so obvious. Like, hello, yeah. did you not see the, you know, the whole thing? So I think better than a dietitian, you know, helping people get nutritious, I'm, I could move it a little bit more quickly to help people say what they're maybe afraid to say or feel. So, and I would say that that's the psychic skill set. I have been called a psychic before, but I definitely don't have the mediumship. And there are times in my life, interestingly, that you mentioned the alignment. The more aligned I am, yeah. the more things happen. And um, the, you know, everyone, I fall out of alignment all the time. I don't know if you do, but. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's life. OK, cool. I mean, that's how I feel. But I wasn't sure how, how you feel as somebody who's always working on that trade. But the more I am you know, taking time to get quiet and aligned, or I'm just in that phase of life where I'm just like in my flow, crazy things have happened. And I'm not scared of them. I feel my most powerful then. A lot of people obviously, I think, think that the psychic work is about the future. Like, will they come to Mm. you not knowing how it works and say, who am I going to marry? Or when am I going to die? Or are most people showing up really understand that it's not as, or is it like that? Could it be like that? Can you answer questions like that in some ways? I don't get a lot of that anymore. I think as I've been working, I get kind of harder cases, quote unquote. And the reason is my wait list is long. And by the time people come to see me, that question seems maybe a little silly sometimes. It's not silly. Like, who am I going to marry? It's still like, of course, we all want the partner. But I generally want to go a layer underneath that. So it's like they might show up with that question, but that question holds so much right? Like the question of when am I going to die is generally not a question of when am I going to die? It's fear around death. It's maybe you witnessed a really traumatic event when you were whatever years old. So when I sit with them and I kind of unpack this, that may be the question, but there's so much within their energy. What I'm really looking for is the stuff that's going to help them move forward in a more expanded way. So that brings me to, I think maybe the my burning question that I walked here with, which is I and I think most people in this culture, the American culture, Mm -hmm. at least, are very afraid of death because you're able to communicate with people who have died. um, Are you afraid of death or is there anything you can Mm -hmm. share about the experience that might don't sugarcoat it? Is there anything you can share about the experience? I won't say positively or negatively. You know, I am not afraid of death. And it's, it's interesting, actually, because as you said that, I look to my left and there's a card, a thank you card that I have there of a woman who I read for who had been battling cancer for a very long time. And she wrote me a very sweet card afterwards that said, you know, I'm no longer afraid to die. And that was a really beautiful indication of healing that I think readings could have that up until that point, I didn't realize that that could be part of the healing, right? When somebody knows they're going to go, that is so conflicting for so many reasons, right? And and for her to go, all right, I'm going to walk into that next adventure and I'm not scared anymore. Like I know that no amount of resisting it's going to gonna help um, to keep me here, but there's no fear. And it also brings me to my favorite quote, I believe Ramda said it, where it's that death is just the experience of taking off a tight shoe, which I just really love for its sense of sensory, like, you know, mm-hmm. you can feel that. Uh, Louboutin, is, you know, the shoes that like the Louboutin yes. shoe that like really gets your toes all cramped. <laughs> that he should have changed but you, it. But you Death think you want to wear the Louis Vuitton shoe. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you thought you wanted to wear that shoe <laughs> and then you took it off. And you're like, oh, freedom. Um, <laughs> and that is uh, that I feel is really the experience of death. You know, when I connect with those on the other side, 
it is sometimes for me, this experience of, oh my gosh, it feels so wonderful. And they're so chatty and they've got all these things to tell you and blah, blah, blah. And then I'll sometimes like, you know, I, I kind of reposition myself in the room and I look at my client and I'm like, oh gosh, they're in so much grief. And the, the difference between the two is huge, right? It's like, of course we're grieving. Of course we have this idea of separateness. Of course we miss them. All of that stuff is very, very true. But then when I experience the lightness of the spirit world where they know this is temporary, you will see them again. It's a moment in time. It's going to go by like a flash. That's a completely different perspective. It really is jarring sometimes the, the difference to go between the two. I don't know if it's necessarily something that would help anyone lose the fear until you experience it yourself. But I will say if you go kind of looking for those answers, you will come to find them. Like there will be some experience in which you uh, land on something that that gives you that peace. Because personally, I, I've had the experience. I know so many people have had the experience. There's always something there for you to find if you just look long enough. Interesting. So, I mean, I, I don't think I've ever heard or very few people that I know that are not afraid of death. And then there are, of course, the people who are, um, you know, have a diagnosis and they know they have X amount of time. But then there are people that are perfectly healthy and or perfectly seemingly healthy. And their fear of death, I think, is like this shadow over them yeah. that um, prohibits them from living. You know, every, fear yep. is laced into crossing the street, to getting on an airplane, to to maybe even Absolutely. dying alone, that they stay in relationships, to not have the fear of death allows you to show up like you. I mean, you're just so comfortable and at ease and you can make choices from such a different vibration <laughs> than than yeah. most people. And I think that's reason enough maybe to see a psychic or medium to start to really break down that barrier of uh, this is life, this is death. They're so different. One is good, one is bad. So that Absolutely. has me, my ears perked up for sure because... I mean, well, it I don't, such I not a, think yeah, no, I was going to say it's such a paradigm shift. I think when you go to a good psychic medium, somebody where in that moment you walk away and you think, wow, I must be more than a physical body because if that information came out, there must be something else going on. And it's right. even just that something else that allows you to pivot into a more expansive nature that it's that's not so limiting. That's not so scarce. That's not so it ends right here. And if you didn't get everything done that you wanted by this timeline, then, you know, God, what, there's nothing left. It does offer that expansive life, I think. And for that reason is, is the reason I've kept offering psychic readings for a long time. I didn't really want to offer them anymore. And I just wanted to do the mediumship. Because mm -hmm. um, I was like, Oh, I just feel like I shouldn't be responsible for people's life and you know, all this stuff. Um, but then I realized it does can hold the same power. You know, at the end of the day, the experience of living is also the experience of dying. Like that's part of it. You're so right. <laughs> we have to make peace with it. And also, I think we can't live until we like truly live until we realize that we're living for for more than just this little blip of life. It's super powerful. So a lot of people come to you for the grieving aspect of wanting to heal and make it to that next step. I know you refer people to grief therapists, but I think what's happening now is doctors and therapists are also referring to you, which is just kind of, I mean, amazing and obvious now that we've spent time with you. But what does it feel like to go from being so afraid to shift away from medicine and this whole other world to now kind of be brought in, in a sense? It's such a joy to be invited into the grief community, so to speak, because it does take a village. I can't just quote unquote, fix someone. No one can. It's a journey. These people are on a journey. We're all on a journey. It's going to take lots of helping hands. But it has been so amazing that there are people who are willing to open some sense of questioning how we've done things before and say, well, maybe it can be helpful, right? Like, let's see. In the beginning, when people would tell me they'd been referred to by psychologists, psychiatrists, doctors, grief therapists, whatever it was, I was thinking that there was just like one nutty person out in the world who was recommending me. Mm -hmm. Like, who is this doctor? And I kept kind of asking people afterwards, be like, well, which doctor referred you? It was always different names. And I thought, mm. how funny, like it's somehow becoming a little bit more acceptable. I'm sure it will take a long time before every doctor out there thinks it's got some merit, but that's okay. I just, I just, and it shouldn't even be like, 
oh, psychic medium is going to going to turn things around for you completely. Like, but I would love to just be invited to the table as this is just another healing modality and it will work for some, but it not necessarily work for all. And I think that in order to be a true healer, whether you're a psychic or a doctor or a dietitian, even you need to be willing to refer to things you might not understand yourself. And I think that's really hard for the science brain, especially, you know, doctors who practice evidence-based medicine. Many are, you know, I'm married to a doctor, so I know I know it very firsthand. A lot of them are very black and white. Science is, is science. You know, there's no room yeah. for it. But my husband and I always say it's the doctors that have no room for alternative medicine or, mm-hmm. you know, diet therapies that are almost threatened. You know, maybe they don't realize yeah. it, but to invite more people to the table just means means you can help a person more and that's only going to be positively reflected on you. You know, you too as the psychic to say, well, it's not just me. You need to get a, a therapist could help you tap into this other yeah. side of it. Like, I just think it's a beautiful way for healers to come together rather than think that there's just one person who can do it all. So that's Absolutely. super interesting. And we've just spent an hour with you or so. And I think everyone listening, you know, is heading to your website and trying to figure out what this is all about. And you've just shifted my mind so much about what a psychic is and and what he or she isn't it's so obvious that you're that you're not a fraud right that you're not you're not even esoteric you're so real in front of us and present <laughs> i try <laughs> <laughs> what does it feel like to go through the challenges of being a psychic having to explain it and you know risk being people rolling yeah. their eyes or thinking you're a fraud what does that feel like still Yeah, you know, it really has been something I struggled with for a long time. And I've been able to shift out of it in the last probably only year or two. It was really hard for me, even when I came out of the closet, so to speak, to for a long time, walk into parties where I had these science friends, and like the room would go quiet. And I'm like, okay, all right, it's fine. We're just gonna, we're just gonna keep doing my thing. But seeing over the years that they've kind of opened up their minds. I think it's keeping room for compassion to meet people where they're at. For the longest time, I had this almost like ongoing argument in my head that I, it was like a riddle and I couldn't solve it. I'd be like, well, if this person is my friend and they believe all psychic mediums are frauds, then either they believe I'm absolutely nuts and out of my mind and crazy, or they believe I'm scamming people. Like, I don't see why you would still be my friend. Um, And it was just this, like, I couldn't, it was like this riddle. I'm like, I'm a psychic medium. You believe they fall into one of two camps. I can't get past that. I can't, I can't see past it. And my sister, who's quite wise and she's younger, but she's like, I don't think they're even thinking about it like that where they just can't deal with it. So they just see that as like a different compartmentalized box. And I was like, all right, okay, fine. Maybe I can, I can accept that as a, as an answer. But it really, for me, kind of boiled down to I can hold compassion and space for people who don't really understand that in the same way that there's other things people do where I'm like, well, I don't I don't understand your reasoning behind that, but I still like you as a person. And so that has really been kind of like the the biggest battle, I would say, after that is this sense of, oh, God, just by being this people who don't like me are just going to initially put me into this box of scam artist. And that almost created this like, or did create this almost panicked response from where we're like, no, I'm a good person. I just want to help. Like, yeah. I'm not, I promise, I promise. But over the years, I, as I find my own voice and my own power within that, it bothers me less and less. And I feel like it's more an opportunity to educate rather than to feel like I have to get super defensive. I think in the beginning, I would get super defensive. Well, it sounds like those are the the people that you loved, you know, too, not just strangers on the street and right. thinking that you need to force their mind. So when they're your loved ones, it's your sense of belonging and there's a lot more at stake there. So that makes sense. And I'm glad that you've shifted into educator role, even just for the purpose of, you know, this podcast and all the other media that you do, because I, again, like my, my feelings on death have changed. I feel like 
I have another tool in my toolbox to help me stay aligned or find alignment when yeah. I'm stuck, which I will be at you know any point in time. And I hope everybody listening just leaves with a crack more of an open mind to, wow, you know, how amazing that everybody on this earth has different gifts. And I think we have these different gifts to help each other and we have to use them. So thank you for doing what you do. Oh, yeah. You're, thank you so much for, for inviting me on. One final question. Um, yes. Do you think that everything happens for a reason? Ooh, that is such a hard one. If you're saying a reason from a sense of God and all is well, then no, I don't believe that. It's a hard one for me. I work on homicide cases. I work on... Wow, you do? With Ooh. Yeah, from time to time, I work on homicide cases. I work with brave parents of just tragic, right. tragic losses around children. It's a really hard one for me to go, oh, well, it all happened for a reason. For sure. I don't believe that to be true. I, you know, things like racism, sexism, um, those also aren't happening for a reason. Uh, I think at the end of the day, we like not for a reason as in like a God-given reason, yes. right? I think that at the end of the day, we're human and we have free will, but we also have physical bodies that sometimes fail. And as human beings, we have a range of emotions and we have the choice to take life and things of that nature. And I don't think that's necessarily a God-given reason. I think that that's us needing to um, look within ourselves. We have the choice to align with goodness and we have the choice to not align with goodness. Things like that. I think it's just far too simplistic to just wrap it all up in a ball and say, well, happened for a reason, you know? So hundred percent. I think sometimes the reason is we created it. Sometimes the reason is the body couldn't handle the environment. Sometimes the reason is a freak accident, but no, I, I can't quite align with that one as much as I would love to, because it would be such an easy out. I hear you. And I love getting our range of answers of guests that come on who have been through really hard things to ask that question. It could feel frustrating for some people, for others. It's yes, it happens for a reason. But I think your your answer perfectly embodies how I feel in this moment in time. So totally agree. As like an addition to it, I think we can find meaning in anything, right? Yep. But that's different than it being for a reason. For sure. I think so, too. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. I'm going to link all of your information in our show notes below. And I'm just so grateful for you living your truthiest life because it's already helped me to live mine a little bit more. So thanks for being with us, Flor. Thank you. Thanks for living your truthiest as well. <laughs> Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.